This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome back to Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward, and with first mate Penny the Cat, we're here to hoist the mainsail and take to the high seas with another cargo mission with the Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. This week we're hauling Kang's treasure and the ghost of Tangalen Bay and beautiful girl in the bargain basement. And they are as thickly laden as they sound. So wind back those clocks and join us in the deep blue. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 2 degrees 40 minutes north, 125 degrees 37 minutes east. Wind brisk, sky fair. Remarks, departed Sangi Islands after fulfillment of promise. Reason for promise, Kang's treasure and the ghost of Tangulan. It was three days out of Basilan, following the final sailing orders from my employer, Kuji Kang, that we raised the smoking island of Tangulan. It's a volcanic island, eight miles square and uninhabited, rimmed by coral reef, its active crater grumbling intermittently and spewing out thick, gaseous smoke that hangs continually over the vicinity in a thick cloud. Reminded me of Iwo Jima, the most unpleasant island in my world, with its jumbled heaps of black sand and the complete lack of vegetation. But it was this island that had been drawing us like a magnet over thousands of miles of ocean. It was here that the Scarlet Queen would perform the duty she was originally built to perform. It was here that I'd live up to the agreement I'd signed with Kang over a year ago. I would at last see the historical $10 million treasure lifted out of the scuttled Chinese junk. I'd see it resting finally in the hold of the Scarlet Queen. We stood around the northern tip of the island and saw the last of the sun as it disappeared behind the pall of smoke. The constant evening gloom that it caused added to the feeling of loneliness. That was all right with me because loneliness was just what we needed at this point. The feeling was fine, but it didn't last long enough. My crewman Nielsen, who was on lookout, broke the spell just as we approached the only reef passage marked on our chart. Hey, up here! What do you got, Nielsen? Gallagher! Yeah, I thought we were going to be alone on this blasted island. How did I take the wheel and hold away from the pass? I'm going forward to have a look. The 
Hull was a lugger, resting at an easy angle on the coral a little better than halfway through the pass. Her masts broken, her rigging tangled. There was no sign of life on her. With binoculars, I could see a rude camp on the beach beyond. There was no sign of life there either. The figures of four men I saw were sprawled on the sand. And if they were alive, I was sure they'd be on their feet watching us as we came in. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. and the silent camp on the beach could have meant anything. Tragedy that was coincidence or a setup by Kang's archenemy, Constantino. I left the queen outside the reef with Gallagher in charge. I put our small boat over the side and Nielsen and I rode in through the pass over the quiet water of the lagoon. Stepped out onto the white sand. The volcano rumbled now and then. Huge land crabs scudded away from the bodies as we approached the camp. Told a pretty plain story. Three of the men lay on some black sand that had been scraped into a couch. The fourth lay a few feet away. Beside him was a medical kit. Just beyond his fingertips was a hypodermic syringe and needle. What do you make of it, Captain? Stay back, Nielsen. Whatever they died of wiped out the whole crew, including the doctor. Maybe there's a plague. Looks huh? like it. There was something about this whole island that rubs me the wrong way. I know what you mean. Come on, let's get back to the ship. An hour later, we'd run the passage into the lagoon and crept along the inside edge of the reef for 200 yards to the unmistakable formation of coral that was our last landmark. We dropped the hook. We performed a maneuver that was the culmination of all the other maneuvers on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. We drifted back, letting out anchor cable, until we reached a spot which, if the chart was correct and no one had beaten us to it, was directly over the hull that guarded Kang's treasure in the lightless, smoke-shadowed water ten fathoms below. But the feeling of elation was completely foreign to the atmosphere of Tangulan. Gallagher and I stood at the rail, feeling the oppressiveness, the uneasiness, as night settled down over us, and the glow from the volcano's crater flickered weirdly on the cloud of smoke above. The atmosphere was bad enough, but Nielsen's hail made it worse. Skipper! Captain Carney! What, Nelson? There was a light on the island, sir. Where? Yeah. There it is, up there. You see it? Yeah. What do you think it is, sir? Oh, there it's gone. Nielsen, go kill all our lights. Roll out the crew. Tell them to drop a double anchor watches tonight. Yes, sir. That's an odd one, Skipper. What do you make of it? I don't know, Red. Could have been molten lava rolling down from the crater. <laughs> what are you handing me? I never heard of lava flowing uphill like that light did. All right, then. You name it. You find four men dead from the plague on an unpopulated island. So? It must be a ghost. I hope it is, Red. But just in case it isn't, go break out enough rifles to arm the crew, will you? Gallagher and I split the night so that one of us was on deck all the time with two armed crewmen. The shoreside light appeared a few more times. 
But when the light of morning forced through the smoke cloud, the island was silent and foreboding. But that's all. We had breakfast and turned two on the most important day's work of the voyage. Hold on, 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 hold Platform's ready for you, Skipper. Go ahead. Rig me that watertight flood lamp, Red. There's no sun getting down there. I'll need light. It's as good as Rick, Skipper. We stood at the rail and watched the big lamp sink slowly over the side, throwing a hazy green-tinted circle of light out into the clear water. Went down three fathoms, four fathoms, five fathoms, six. Went down seven fathoms, seven and a half, and I stopped it. Hold it! The circle of light had settled over the outline of the junk. It was leaning about 30 degrees to port. It's after half and part of the main house crushed into a crevice in the coral. It's movable spars and rigging swinging uneasily in the current. It's there, Skipper. The whole blasted thing is there. Sure, it's there. Get the suit ready. Cola, get the suit on the platform. Crowder, stand by the winch. We're ready to go to work. In ten minutes, I'd gotten into the suit. The platform had lowered me below the surface. And I was left with no sound but the light bubbling of my escape valve and the faint throb of the air being pumped down to me. There was the first grip in the pit of the stomach that comes with adjusting yourself to a new element. Then the awareness of long shapes that darted into the light from the darkness and left again. Desire to look behind you when you can't. Then the platform reached the level on the sunken deck. Hold it, Brad. I stepped onto the sharp slant of the slippery deck. The passageway into the main house that held the treasure was blocked by a shoulder of coral. I made my way along its starboard side to a group of three portholes that let enough light in to show me the interior. I stood for a good minute, lost in the sight of what lay just a few feet away from me lost in the thought of what had led up to this instant and what the four neatly stowed boxes meant in Kang's life and Gallagher's life and the crew's lives and in my life. Skipper! It was the crackle of the intercom circuit in Red's voice that brought me back to the fact that it had to be gotten out of the cabin now that we'd found it. Skipper, what's going on? You aren't moving. Skipper, you all right? Sure, Red. I'm all right. What the devil are you doing? I'm looking at it, Red. It's here. Well, let's get it started up. It's not as easy as that. The passageway is jammed shut. We can get it out in one load, but we'll have to cut in through the side. Well, you better come up then. We'll get the gear ready. Yeah. And give me plenty of help with my line, Red. This deck doesn't like me. It's spongy with rot. Well, watch your step. Don't let anything happen now. Hello, Red. This is the most cautious few feet I've traveled since the first time I walked it off. I'll bet you were cute, Skipper. That's all they tell me, mate. So they tell me. With the excitement of being on the verge of recovery, I don't think any of us took time to think of the night before or the ghost of Tangolan. Or at least no one mentioned it. And when it floated in on us, it was so silent that none of us knew. I'd gotten out of the diving suit and we were grouped on the landed side of the deck putting lines on the wrecking bars and saws and the rest of the cutting gear. And we didn't hear it until he pushed his head up over the side to see it and spoke. Hey, it's got to skip Put down the gun. I'll call my volcano down in the lot of you. Who are you? I'm poor Sam Brennan. How'd you get here? 
I hid behind a coconut log. Drifted down on you with the tide. Who be you? Bill Carney, captain of the ship. Was that you on the mountain with the light? Hey, Gonna come aboard, captain. I have a hunger for Christian food. I have a word for you. Bring him aboard. Keep your eye on him. Two crewmen reached down, took him by each arm, and hauled him aboard. What came up over the rail did justice to the head that topped it. His hair was shaggy and shoulder length, his face matted with wild beard. His body was gaunt, covered by a collection of wet rags that was part cloth, part skin, part seaweed. No makeup man in costume or anywhere could have done as well for the Ben Gunn character out of Treasure Island. We took him to the galley and opened a tin of hash for him. His wild, slightly vacant eyes flashed, and he fell to with a will with his right hand. Held out his left for me to see. The nails were raw, heat blackened. What? What be the cause of that, do you reckon? Now, wait a minute. Let's start farther back than that. Where'd you come from? Come from? My island. I've been a copra grower there before my volcano overflowed and burned out my groves and everything else. But I... I've been alone since then. Then being ten years ago. Ten years alone on that island? Ah, there's company enough there is. With the voices at night. And work enough with the fish to catch and caring for my volcano. Yeah, sure. Now about your hands. Uh, what happened to them? Torture. It was hard, cruel to poor Sam Brennan. They were. Oh. Eight of them. That come not two days back. Eight? Yeah. Them that run the craft on my reef yonder. And laid them poor dead corpses out on the sand. Well, how do you like that? You mean those men didn't die here? Uh, they come as they are. Poor dead corpses. Poor Sam Brennan saw them laid out neat like they are. Then I I stepped into the midst of the living my arm raised to friendship. And they all fell upon me, hard cruel. Forced into my fingers, heated needles. Leaving the marks that you see there, see? Pretty rough. Why did they do it, Sam? Uh, for my wisdom, no less. But I told them little... Only that I saw it sail in and saw no more. Uh, they'll get no talk from poor Sam Brennan with so cruelty. So what sail in, Sam? Eh? The, the Chinese craft. We're lying over now. You... There you are, Red. Constantino. How'd they get it, Skipper? How'd they get here before How'd us? How'd they get any place? Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you that and more. I've been at the side at night, moving here, moving there, covered by the growls of my volcano. They learned of my island from a servant in Marceline. Sure, sure. We've been nicely suckered. That death camp set up so we wouldn't risk infection to look over the island. They sit there and watch us load the stuff on the queen. Then what, Sam? Do you know? Hey, this is what I know. There's a fast power yacht in the lagoon around the island on the far side of the pass. Inside the reef? Hey, oh, That's great. A- and the wrecked ship at the reef passage is prepared with dynamite on us. So that when you start to leave, a touch of the finger will topple it into the passage. And you'll be bottled up here at the mercy of that craft which is armed like a man of war. That I know. That poor Sam Brennan heard himself. Yeah, thanks for the dope, Sam. I take it they have a detonator set up on shore to blow the charge. How many men are with it? Well, there'd be one alone. Rest be on the boat. If I took care of the ones on the boat, could you manage the one ashore? The one? Matched against the knights and my volcano and me? <laughs> oh, we'll manage him. We will. Good. One more thing, Sam. Will you go to the wreck with me before you go ashore? Aye, aye. But, but don't go the way you come. Wait a minute, Skipper. That's putting your head right into it, isn't well, it? Well, what else, Red? Well, That'll be bottled up here like fish in a glass tank. Yeah, well, we ought to be able to cut the wires to that dynamite before they get the idea that it's any more than a curiosity trip. They must have expected well, I that. I hope you're right, Skipper. I'll have to take over the diving, Red. You take it. Work as fast as you can. Cut a six-foot hole into that cabin, then it'll all come out in one load. The gear's all ready. Okay, Skipper, I'll do my best. That'll be good enough, Red. And be careful, huh? <laughs> me? You telling me to be careful. 
Red was in the suit and on his way down by the time Sam Brennan dropped over the side, and I got myself ready and headed toward the wreck in the small boat. I took with me an explosive detonator rigged for dry cell batteries, a couple of small blocks with well-oiled sheaves, and enough strong light line to reach across the hundred yards between shore and the wreck. I boarded it before Sam arrived, climbed down into the cabin, and started tearing the place to pieces. First ten minutes of searching weren't enjoyable, but they weren't as bad as the next twenty when I dropped into the hold and still hadn't found the charge. By that time, I'd been there too long for my visit to look like one of curiosity to anyone. When I did find it seven sticks strong down in the filthy bilge, my heart was pounding and no one could have convinced me that I didn't rip the wires loose a split second before the man at the detonator had decided to push the plunger home. But when I had them harmless in my hands, even the bilge air smelled as sweet as life itself. What be your plan, Captain? All you have to do is go ashore, Sam, at the end of this line. I've got the detonator set so that when the power yacht hits the line just as she enters the reef passage, this wreck we're on will blow up right in their faces. You understand? It has a good sound. My ship is on one side of the passage. They'll approach from the other. The only thing I want to be sure of is that you'll leave enough room on my side so that the Scarlet Queen can squeeze through. It's proper vengeance they get from poor Sam Brennan. That's right. All right, Sam. Get going. <laughs> With the end of the line looped around his tattered waist, he slept silently into the water with only his head showing behind his log. Started shoreward toward a spot I'd pointed out to him. May have been minutes, but it seemed like hours before he got there. I watched him secure the line to a jutting rock and then disappear. I heaved my line as taut as I could, reaved it through one of the blocks I'd rigged, made it fast to the detonator so that the slightest tug would blow the charge. Then I went back to the queen. You're back all right, Captain. I'm sure glad to see you, sir. Thanks, Nielsen. Where's Mr. Gallagher? Oh, he's still submerged. What's the trouble? Well, nothing now, sir. He was on his way up. The cargo's aboard, but the chief's line fouled, and we had trouble getting him out of the cabin of the junk. He was down too long. We didn't want to risk Ben's bringing him up faster than we should. Well, we'll have to speed it up a little, Nielsen. Get on the intercom. Tell him I'm back, and he has to get up as fast as he can. Yes, sir. Caller, stand by the windlass. I'll get the motor started, and we'll inch up on the anchor. We've got a towed cable, sir. Over the hook. Over the hook. Nielsen, where's the diving platform? Hold presence down, sir. We'll have to have more speed. Tell Gallagher to hang on. We'll have to weigh anchor before we get him aboard. Anchor's away, sir. And coming up. Anchor's away. Where's the platform, Nielsen? Two and a half fathom, sir. We'll have to forget pressure and everything else and get him aboard. Tell him that. Tell him the power boat expected is in sight about a thousand yards off our bow. It was natural that it should show. We'd used too much time. Time enough for anyone to realize that something was wrong and decide to find out what. Anchor's in sight, sir! Nielsen! Platform's in sight, sir! So I stood there with my hand on the throttle, not able to open it, and watched the Constantino boat push its sleek bow around a point of land. She was moving slowly, still only inquisitive, still unable to see what was going on on our decks. Anchor's up, sir! Secure the anchor! It's clear in the water, sir! The platform's clear! I waited another 30 precious seconds until Gallagher had been swung inboard. Then I opened the throttle. Our wake churned, and as we picked up speed, the Scarlet Queen built a bow wave that curled and gleamed milkily in the gloom. That bow wave was like a starter's gun to the power craft. She built a bigger one of her own as her throttle was open, and she picked up speed that made our pace look like that of a canal scow. I didn't have time for any kind of caution. When we covered half the distance of the pass, I swung toward the island, blinds of the reefs or channels or depths, knowing only that I needed that swing to make the narrow lane between the reef and the trip cord that would blow the booby trap in the wreck. By the time I'd made the turn and straightened out for the run, the powerboat had closed to within less than a hundred yards of us. And the men aboard her opened up to stop us with every means they had. Hey, cover me! 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 Hey, c
Get down in the deck! Come after the cockpit, Brent! Stand by to take the wheel in case I catch one of these things! Come on, Skipper! I crouched as low as I could and watched the series of bullet holes appear in the deck in front of me. And felt the splinters as another burst caught the mizzen boom above me. Can we do it, Skipper? I'll know in a minute, Red. We got 25 yards to go. They got about 60. You're awful close to the reef, Skipper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reef, Captain! They're going to scrape the reef! I eased a scant foot or two towards the line in the middle of the channel. By the time our bow slid by the raging coral, the powerboat was no more than 25 yards astern. Her range was point blank now, but that wasn't what I was worried about. Stepped out into the path, felt the first ocean swell lift our bow. Our stern swung to port in the cart, and I fought it back with hard helm. Then I just hung on and hoped because there was nothing else to do. Kill the motor. We made it, Red. Well, don't just stand there with your mouth open. Hmm? Oh, I, I, stand by to make sail. The crewmen took a while to pull their eyes away from the mangled wreck that the sleek power yacht had suddenly turned into. Her superstructure was torn to bits. She was afire and settling by the stern in the reef passage. Then they stumbled to their stations. Stop it, Chief! Make sail! The mainsail climbed into the smoke-dulled sky. The jibs. Then the mizzen. And the Scarlet Queen, as though feeling the success herself, and the lifting of strain and tension, kneeled in thanks to her own gods. And leaned before the winds they sent her in answer to her prayer. It's aboard, Skipper. It's aboard, and we're out of there. It's aboard, Red. Well, you don't sound too happy about it. Happy? Red, I don't even believe it. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, Skipper. After what's led up to it, it don't seem right just to pick it up like some bales of rubber or some sacks of rice and put it in a hole. Yeah, that's about it. But poor Sam Brennan can have his island. We're out of there. Yeah, that's a little hard to believe, too. But assuming that we are, where are we back? Back to Hong Kong to sign over the stuff we don't believe to Kang. Uh, a city, Skipper. Yeah. We've earned a celebration. And I can't think of a better place than Hong Kong. I don't see any reason for waiting till we get there, if you know what I mean. I think I do. Drink, Skipper? You do know? You're psychic. After you, mate. After you. entry, the catch Scarlet Queen. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 21,308. Wind brisk, sky fair. Carrying full sail. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. The 
Age of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. And tonight featured Bill Johnstone as Sam and William Conrad as Nielsen. Music scored and conducted by Richard O'Rod. The Scarlet Queen, a command radio production directed by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. This program came to you from Hollywood. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 22 degrees, 15 minutes north, 114 degrees, 45 minutes east. Wind fresh, sky fair. Remarks, departed Hong Kong after successfully liquidating business competition. Reason for success, the beautiful girl in the bargain basement. It was a long leg from the island of Tangulan up across the Celebes and Sulu Seas, through the Kalmayan group and across to the Chinese mainland. It was a victorious leg, too, with the realization slowly sinking in that we'd beaten Constantino to the prize. And that with the $10 million worth of relics aboard, we'd all but accomplished our original mission for Kuji Kang. And that as soon as we'd unloaded it and started trading under his company flag, we could map our own futures and come and go almost as we pleased. It was mid-afternoon when the mirror-clear water of the China Sea took on the yellow of the mud sweeping out from the Kwangtung's rivers, and the bulk of the coast loomed up on the horizon. According to orders, we lay too well off Macau until after nightfall, then slipped silently into the dozing harbor under power. We moored quickly and quietly at a waterside entrance to Kang's Macau warehouse. Well, we're in, Skipper. Yeah, Red. But take it easy, mate. Yeah. We'll just use a bow line, man, and the Skipper will keep the stern in with the motor. And 20 minutes later, we'd finished the last actual operation with the treasure itself. It was off the ship, well hidden in the warehouse. And we pulled out of Macau, every man aboard smiling up at the clear night sky, feeling completely unfettered for the first time since we'd left San Francisco. At last, free from the menacing shadow of Constantino that had followed us across the Pacific. By one the next afternoon, we entered and were enveloped by the broiling harbor of Hong Kong. I found a repair yard for the queen, arranged for a full repair and paint job for her, and lived up to a promise I'd made the crew. I gave them four months' pay for the two I owed them, and turned them loose on the city for a week's shore leave. See you tonight at the commercial club, Skipper. Right, Red. Uh, where are you headed? I'm off to report our success to Kang. It was really shaping up to be the happiest land trip of my life. Hong Kong looked like the end of the rainbow as I hurried across town to the office where Kang was to meet me. Good afternoon, Captain Carney. Hello. Where's Mr. Kang? I waited so long to meet you. Oh, really? Yes. My name is Francisco Constantino. It's an interesting but little-known fact that two of America's greatest inventors were by training and original profession portrait painters. 
These men were Robert Fulton, who built the Claremont, one of the world's first steamships, and Samuel F.B. Morse, known as the inventor of the telegraph. Both men were accomplished artists, whose canvases are among the finest painted by any Americans. In addition to their artistic talent and skill, however, they possessed a degree of curiosity combined with a quality typical of so many Americans, a determination to find the answer to technical problems which intrigued them. In 1832, after studying art in Paris for three years, Morse sailed for the United States aboard a packet ship. During the voyage, he got into discussion with another passenger. The subject? Electromagnetism, an exciting new discovery in the mysterious realm of electricity, a field which Benjamin Franklin had explored with great interest a few decades before. Basically, electromagnetism demonstrated that an iron bar wound with a great many coils of insulated wire would become magnetic when charged with electricity. The magnetism would cease instantly when the electrical charge was shut off. Interesting, but so what, many might have said, but not Morse. He, a professional portrait painter, mind you, decided that this phenomenon must have some practical use. Before his ship docked, he had the idea for an electric telegraph system, utilizing electromagnetism to create the sparking dots and dashes of the Morse code. Many years of hard work followed before he perfected adequate instruments to transmit and receive the code messages. Finally, in 1843, the government granted Morse $30,000 to establish a test telegraph line from Washington to Baltimore, a distance of 40 miles. But because of incompetence on the part of some of the crew, the work fell behind, and Morse became desperate. Finally, he stretched bare copper wires over the entire distance, strung from tree to tree and to posts where necessary. Broken bottle tops were used for insulators. The deadline was met successfully. Over the wire from Baltimore to Washington went the immortal words, spelled out in the click of the Morse code, What hath God wrought? Another instance that will live in the world's history, proving the results which come out of American inventiveness and this philosophy, there must be a way. Let's find it. So Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Captain Carney. I'm sorry our meeting has to be such a shock, but I suppose it is to be expected. Where's Kang? We'll get to that later. Oh, sit down, Captain. All right. I had hoped to make our meeting as pleasant as possible, Captain. First, because in spite of the fact that we have been uh, competitors for the past several months, I feel a great deal of admiration for you. I mean that. Competitors? I guess that covers it, doesn't it? Yes, completely. There has been nothing in any way personal about my campaign for the recovery of the Chinese relics. Do all of your campaigns cost as many lives as this one did, Mr. Constantino? Oh, please, Captain. Let us forget our competition. Supposing we call it truce, hmm? This is a great approach, but you're wasting your time. What are you trying to no, prove? Wait, Captain. This is no approach. 
It's a, uh, a situation between you and me that is even stranger than you think. You'll excuse me. I think I'll get back to the Scarlet Queen. I don't think you'll want to, Captain. Henrietta Ainley is at my house waiting to see you. Hank? Hank Ainley? She followed you to Haiphong after you left here. And her inquiries about you led her to me. Where is she? At my house. We have become quite friendly since... Since we had in common our desires to find you. I'd like to see her. All right, Captain. But she knows nothing of our association. Now, I give you my word. She will not find out unless you tell her. Now, come. You will see that I tell the truth. We drove to the top of Victoria Peak. My mind was full of her. The dream we'd lived for three days after I'd met her. A dream so strong that I'd stayed away from ship, my men, my voyage for Kang, rather than awaken from her. The dream and the ache when I realized that leaving her was the only way to save her from murder or arrest. Then we turned into a drive and stopped in front of the squat mansion that was Constantino's. We went in through a hallway, into a living room. And I saw her, standing sort of stiffly and unsure in front of me. Hello, Phil. Hello, Hank. There. You see, my dear, the waiting has ended, hasn't it? Yes. Yes, it has. And you're too uh, reserved or embarrassed to enjoy it. I'm sure you will excuse me now. Hmm? I will go and mix a drink for us both. Oh, Hank. Oh, Phil. Please, Hank. No. No, I'll cry. I gotta look at you. I gotta. Look up at you. I was remembering that I wondered what made you so beautiful. Your mouth a little too wide. Your eyes a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones a little too high. Do I still look like your Scarlet Queen? You look like they just gave me the world. You look like about nine million dollars. You look like home. Oh, Phil, you're so nice. Sit down here. Kiss me again. Oh, yeah. I missed you, Hank. I'm glad you did. I missed you, too. The dream was back. And as before, it pushed everything out of focus. Constantino returned with some drinks. We sat through a dinner. I was shown to a room... Not too long after the house quieted down, she slipped in and we sat in front of a window and talked. I don't know what to do about Fran, Phil. It's a bad... You mean Constantino? Yes, it's bad. How bad, eh? Well, he... He's been wonderful waiting for you. He... he... Well, I wouldn't have found you if it hadn't been for him. What has he told you about me? About why he was waiting for me? Why, nothing, darling. Just... Just that you were working for him. Hmm? Phil, is there anything wrong with what you're doing for him? 
No, not a thing. He is a little mysterious sometimes. Phil, I wouldn't care what you were doing for anybody or what side of the law it was on. You know that, don't you? Sure. You never told me what you were doing out here. If there was a chance of your getting into trouble, you'd tell me. Wouldn't you? I'd want to know. I'd tell you. Now, what about this business with Constantino? He's in love with me. I don't blame him so much. Phil. He asked me to marry him. What are you going to do about it? Well, I was afraid to refuse. I thought maybe he'd be angry enough to send me away and I couldn't wait for you. I told him I had to have time to decide, Phil. You see how uncomfortable it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. I like him and... And I appreciate everything, but... Oh, Phil, I'm a coward. Couldn't couldn't we just sneak out of here tonight and hide so I wouldn't have to face him? I know that sounds... Sure awkward. we could. Come on. Right now? Right now. Henrietta! Right. Fran? Henrietta, I think this tender reunion has gone on long enough. Phil, don't. I think Captain Carney is wise enough in the ways of arms and men to realize that neither of you will leave until I wish it. Now, please go back to your room. Phil? You better do what he says, Hank. From the moment Constantino opened the door, we stopped living in a dream. And almost before it closed on him and Hank Ainley, I began to realize the spot I'd been so neatly maneuvered into. Sure, I had the treasure, but Constantino had Hank. I wondered how soon the bargaining would begin. Spent the next morning wandering around the house looking for Hank Ainley until I finally got tired of watching Constantino's gunmen making their presence known to me. And I went back to my room because there was nothing I could do but feel sick with worry for Hank and wait for the next move. It all began to clear up in the middle of the afternoon when Constantino came through the door. He was wearing the same friendly expression, but he was flanked by two of his men. I'm getting awful sick of this. I hope you're bringing your guns with you means we're through being polite. Yes. I'm afraid that our truce has come to an end. I found your ship, Captain. And the treasure, of course, was not aboard. What have you done with Hank? I also found the hotel at which your crew is staying during their week of freedom. Your first officer returned once to the ship and has not been located since, but he will. What have you done with Hank? Just what I'm coming to, Captain Carney. I will release you and stop the campaign for the relics if you... If you will release your hold on Henrietta Ainley. You don't mean that. You're lying in your teeth. I swear I am not. I I had hoped that her feelings toward you might have changed since your earlier friendship was so short, but that is why I brought you together. It is quite evident that she has not Quite changed. evident that you're crazy. You're out of your head. Captain, if you will tell her that you no longer love her, I have every reason to believe that she will turn to me. She wouldn't believe me if I did. You... You refuse. Refuse? I'm ashamed that I even listened to you. Get out of here. Captain, one more. What? You asked me what I have done with Miss Ainley. It has become a habit with me to get what I want one way or another. So? How does this bargain strike you? You may purchase Miss Ainley's freedom simply by telling me where you have deposited the treasure. You play it either way, don't you? It's still no. No. To both of my bargains? No, to both of your bargains. I tell you what, Captain. 
You stay here and think it over, realizing that this house is well-armed and that your door will, of course, be locked and guarded. You think over my bargain, the afternoon passed. And just before dark, I heard a car leave the gravel drive and fade away down the hill. Another hour passed. The house was without sound or movement. But both arrived suddenly and at the same time. First, I heard the car. Whether it was the same one or not, I couldn't tell. Maybe 30 seconds after it stopped, I heard the rest. Two shots echoed up from the main floor. Soon after that, I heard feet coming down the hall toward my room. I doused the lights, hugged the wall next to the door, decided to make a try at whoever it was. But the sound of the voice changed my mind. Step up. Are you there? Gallagher! Stand away from the door. I'll have to blast the lockout. Red, the shot. Stay away for the guard. He, uh, last. Come on, Skipper. we got to get you out of here. They're on their way back to get you right now. Where's Hank? Right Red. where we're going. Come on, I swiped Constantino's car. I'll tell you about it on the way. All right. That dame, Skipper. We had a nice plan worked out. Governor Red, when did you see her? This morning. When you didn't show up yesterday, it started to smell like Constantino. So I found out where he lived. He sneaked up here after dark and caught sight of you through the window. That's great, Red. What about Hank? I caught her in the garden this morning. She didn't know why he was holding you here, so I told her everything. Except where we left the stuff. You told her about the treasure? You made a pigeon out of her Wait a minute. I had to do something. She said she'd get him out tonight so I could come in and get you. She said it was all right. But she didn't look all right when she came out with him, so I followed him. And believe me, it isn't all right. Where did he take her? Down at the waterfront. She was going to tell him that's where the treasure was and that... That she'd marry him. You shouldn't have told her, Red. Where is this place? Pretty soon, Skipper, will get there. Hurry up, Red. Hurry up. We headed into the waterfront section on the eastern outskirts of the city. We pulled up in front of a warehouse that had outside stairs leading up to a long walkway two and a half stories above the street. Clear up there, Skipper. climbed along wooden stairs as quietly and as quickly as we could. But when I heard him as we got there, the pounding of angry blood in my brain got so loud it almost drowned him out. How dare you? How dare you? How's your choosing to me? Now I'll take both. Now I'll take both. You and the Chinese relic. Let's go, Red. Let's go. All right, Constantino, that's enough. All right, Constantino, I've come to bargain with you. I didn't need anything to carry me into him. Everything but his face disappeared in a red haze. I didn't know how long it lasted, but my arms ached and my face and back were numb from his fists. One of his rights took me. When I stumbled back, he rushed me. I realized his tactics. The open door and the long wooden stairs were behind me. I ducked under his next swing, caught him with a right under the ribs. Then I had him pinned against the door frame. And I hit him for everything he'd done to us on the voyage. The lying. The killing. For King. For the crew. For Gallagher. For Hank. He staggered across the walkway and I made my last rush. This one was for me. Silent crack. And he was gone. Wait a minute, Get away from me. Phil, He'll I... be all right, Hank. What's the matter with you anyway, bringing him here? Nothing, Phil, nothing. Oh, Hank, why did you do it? I was sick. I was so scared. I just wanted to help you. Let's get out of here, Hank. We got the rest of the week. Five days. Let's get out of here. 
Oh, darling, five days. That's not very much. Five days. And the five days wasn't very much. We were like two kids in their first love affair. We sat in King James Park. We took moonlight drives to the top of Victoria Peak. We swam away sun-drenched afternoons at the beach, had cocktails and danced at the commercial club. Or we just walked through the old section of Hong Kong and held hands. Five days. Then there was a door we tried not to look at, a sailing time that came closer with each tick of the clock and wine that would have bubbled with happiness if things had been different. I'm going to stay here, Phil. I'm not going down to the Queen with you. All right, Hank. Will I see you again, Phil? Sure, Hank. But I can't go with you. It wouldn't work. But I can promise I'll find you again. I'll try to wait for you, Phil. But it's not easy out here. I know. I'd rather take a beating than hear you say that. For being honest with me. Oh, Phil. Yeah. I love you, Hank. I'll wait, Phil. Really, I'll wait. I'll be back. You understand about not going with me. That's why I love you. Well, I guess it's about time. Wait. Have a drink with me? Sure. I'll make a toast to the woman you love. I wish her health and happiness and good luck so that she'll bring you safely back to me. To the Scarlet Queen. Take care of yourself, Hank. You too, Phil. Afternoon, I was aboard, and the Scarlet Queen had scudded through the never-ending traffic of Hong Kong's harbor. And, and the wind that came to us carried with it the city's familiar smell. The head of the mainsail climbed to its place on the newly varnished mast. The jibs went up, then the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen, not feeling the string that tried so hard to pull her master back to the city. Charged into the open sea. That's the rig, all right, skipper. Yeah, fine, Red. It's too bad we had to leave. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean, Red. But we're leaving. And it's all right. That a boy, skipper. Hey, Red, I got word from Kang. Yeah? He's okay. And he's on his way to Shanghai with the treasure. Is that where we're bound? No, we're heading for Kwangchow, a couple hundred miles south of here. Yeah, I'm from there? Who knows? We'll be moving, Red. Oh, I'm glad of that. That week ashore, it got kind of monotonous. The first couple of days were all right, but... Which... Why should I be saying this to you? You don't understand how Hong Kong could be monotonous. You're right there, mate. Well, to me, it was boring. 
but let's look ahead, shall we? That's where I'm looking. Look all right? Gonna be a fine evening. And all the ocean in the world on the other side. And no more Constantino to worry about. Quite an evening. An end and a beginning. Here, Skipper. To the Queen. After you, mate. After you. Log entry. Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind fresh, sky fair. Carrying full sail. Ship secure for the night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. And tonight featured Kathy Lewis as Hank with Ben Wright as Constantino. Music scored and conducted by Richard Arad. The Scarlet Queen, produced by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. The, the Voyage And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.